0: Axis where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Sponsored by Bridge Bank. Be safe. Venture wisely. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, restaurants ask for more time and what Disney just lost to TikTok but first reopening America's healthcare system. So, okay, I get that title might be a little bit confusing given that we have spent the past two months talking about hospitals being at surge capacity and parking lots becoming makeshift testing facilities. But overall, American healthcare service rates have fallen through the floor or maybe even through the foundation. Remember, lots of hospitals stopped all elective procedures in order to preserve bed space for COVID-19 patients, which led to massive drops in things like joint replacement surgeries. And lots of other medical facilities, like clinics and specialty practices, have either closed or severely limited their offerings, including in such areas as pediatrics, ophthalmology, and dermatology. And none of that even includes all the paused clinical trials for non-COVID drugs, many of which require regular patient visits and monitoring. Why it matters for patients, of course, is that they haven't gotten treatment, which could lead to increased troubles and costs down the road. Why it matters for healthcare as a whole is that elective procedures are what greases its wheels, which is why we have had this bizarre dichotomy of overworked frontline workers on one hand and scores of laid off healthcare workers on the other. More specifically, the most recent monthly jobs report showed 1.4 million losses in the healthcare sector, including around 250,000 physicians. The bottom line, things are beginning to open up, including medical and dental facilities. But there are questions as to how fast that can happen and what might have been lost for good. In 20 seconds, we'll go deeper with Axios healthcare reporter Bob Herman. But first, this. Bridgebank knows the
1: ins and outs of business ups and downs and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to sponsor backed emerging technology and growth companies for nearly two decades through its national network of banking teams and offices and tech hubs across the country, including San Francisco, Seattle, Denver, Chicago, and Boston. Visit Bridgebank.com to learn more. Bridgebank is a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridgebank, be safe, venture wisely.
0: We're joined now by Axios healthcare reporter, Bob Herman. So Bob, let's start here just with this decrease in elective procedures and kind of how universal it's been. So for example, if I'm someone who's been trying to get a knee replacement surgery over the last couple months, have I been able to? Is it a question of where I live or a question of money?
2: So if you're trying to get a knee surgery since the pandemic started, it's very likely it got postponed. Hospitals have basically all but stopped them. And what's so interesting about healthcare is we always figured it was recession proof, but it turns out that it probably is a little recession proof, but it's not pandemic proof because hospitals had to basically stop all these things to prepare for the coronavirus. And as you mentioned, the knee replacements is the most extreme example, but it's really across the board. You look at pretty much every service line, cardiology, spine, ophthalmology. There's no service that has been spared here.
0: The original argument for why a lot of these procedures were stopped was capacity, right? You know, you don't want to take up a bed for somebody who's convalescing from a knee replacement when you might need that bed for a coronavirus patient. That said, as things begin to open up, is there an expectation that all of these kind of backed up procedures, these people are just going to flock back in, or is there serious concern that folks will still stay away because these often are facilities that either already have coronavirus patients or just general concerns about the lack of social distance that occurs when they're. There's a surgery or when there is a, a face-to-face physician meeting?
2: For hospitals, at least, they are kind of hoping and praying that the demand surges back because a lot of these procedures that have stopped are their big money makers like orthopedic procedures or spine or heart. So while they're hoping that there's this surge now that the coronavirus, at least from a hospitalization standpoint, appears to have crested at least in some states, it's actually less clear from people I've spoke with. There's still a fear among patients, especially if it's something that they don't need immediately. If there's some kind of carpal tunnel surgery that they've been meaning to get to but still don't really want to do, they still might hold off until there's some kind of clear evidence that this is truly under control. So while there's a hope that this will come back for hospitals, it's far from a guarantee. And it certainly seems like at least some of the demand certainly won't come back this year.
0: You talked about the hospital capacity. You had a great piece over the weekend about kind of the falling hospitalization rates, including in some of the hardest hit states, hospitalization rates from COVID. I'm wondering, though, there's obviously a pretty persistent fear that as states start to open up, beaches and parks and retail and possibly even restaurants that you could start to get at least select outbreaks in various places. Given that, are hospitals comfortable basically reducing that surge capacity given the concern they might need it again? They're
2: kind of in a catch-22, right? Because they want to be prepared if there is another surge of coronavirus cases. That was the whole point of this. But at the same time, they're just not getting revenue right now, especially the smaller hospitals and the hospitals that treat traditionally poorer patients. They are on the bleeding edge right now. So they're at this catch-22 where they want to be able to be prepared, but they need money to come in the doors if they want to keep their staff around. So I spoke with a CEO of a hospital in Vermont. For Vermont hasn't been terribly hard hit. They've been very aggressive with social distancing up there. And he told me like, we're prepared, but we really kind of need to start scheduling some of these electric procedures again, because they're not getting as much funding from the federal government as other hospitals. So they kind of need some of these patients to come back if they want to at least not have to start laying off or furloughing staff.
0: Let's leave the hospitals aside for a second or step away from them and talk kind of about the specialist clinics. A lot of people who go to the doctor, even for outpatient procedures, don't go to a hospital per se. They go to a smaller sort of facility. Is it the expectation that those, including small like urgent cares, is the expectation that those will start to open up more and more? And is there a reason to believe people will be more comfortable going to those?
2: It's interesting. So outpatient care, it's probably even more at risk. And the volumes that have gone down are even more severe. If you look at family doctors, pediatricians, from what i'm hearing some of those volumes have declined almost by 90 percent year over year they're essentially just treading water with no revenue coming in and it's still kind of the same dynamic right like if you are sick do you go in maybe do you go in for your cardiac checkup in an office maybe but maybe you just do it via telehealth
0: telehealth granted you don't get the money off of procedures like you know an ekg but you do at least get the appointment revenue correct
2: Correct, you do. And with telehealth, it's not always being paid at the same level as you know an in-person visit. Some insurers are trying to level that out. But again, any kind of telehealth revenue is not going to be made up from what they would have gotten from an in-person visit.
0: Bob, one other piece of this, which is dental, and we don't think necessarily of dental all the time when we think of healthcare, but when you look at the jobs numbers from April, I think there was like half a million of the job losses were in the dental sector. Are dentist offices going to reopen? And from your perspective, do they suffer or potentially suffer from the same issues that the pediatrician's offices and those smaller outpatient specialist providers suffer from outside of, again, emergency dental procedures?
2: It seems like it's the same dynamic. It's funny, I just got an alert from my dentist kind of pleading with me to come back sometime in October, and I'm not totally sure. I want to do that. And if you think about the most elective of elective, you probably don't need to get your teeth cleaned at your six month mark. When it comes to everything else, it's not the most urgent. So dentist offices have absolutely taken the brunt of this because it's just not totally necessary in light of the pandemic. And for those offices, there's been layoffs, as you mentioned. And you even wonder if, and I wrote about this as well, if they're the type of practice that we'll have to consider selling as well. And one area that has been very interested in dental is private equity. So you kind of wonder if that trend will kind of accelerate.
0: Bob, just very quickly, because we're almost out of time and a separate topic, but since I have you here, Moderna, which is the drug company that got a COVID vaccine into clinic first, yesterday released some fairly encouraging, albeit not completely complete, phase one clinical trial data. It helped the stock markets go nuts. Your initial reaction when you saw what Moderna released?
2: In some ways, this was kind of expected, right? This was a phase one trial. This is the very first trial. It's mostly focused on just testing whether the vaccine is safe. And by those measures, it's certainly encouraging. Nobody's dying. There's no life-threatening adverse events associated with it yet. On the other hand, it's a very early interpretation of the data. We're talking about really a subset of patients that were looked at. It's kind of insane that the stock market went as wild as it did considering this was kind of expected and there's still so long to go. The pivotal phase three trial is going to start sometime over the summer. That's where it's going to matter most. So the stock market reaction is totally wild.
0: Bob Herman, who you can follow at Bob J. Herman on Twitter. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Dan. My final two right after this.
1: With offices and tech hubs throughout the country, including San Francisco, Denver, Chicago, and Boston, Bridgebank supports the innovation ecosystem wherever it thrives and helps breakthrough ideas actually break through. And through its teams focused on technology and life sciences companies and the equity investors who fuel them, Bridgebank delivers a responsive, high touch client experience. Bridgebank is a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridgebank, be safe, venture wisely.
0: Now it's time for my final two. And first up is America's beleaguered and largely shuttered restaurant sector. A big group of restaurant owners and CEOs yesterday met at the White House and over and over asked for just one thing, an extension of the so-called covered period for Paycheck Protection Program loans from eight weeks to 24 weeks. Their basic argument was that in many cases, they're being forced to use or lose the loans before all of their restaurants can fully open, which helps defeat the purpose. To be clear, they weren't asking for more money, just for more time. What was remarkable about the meeting also was how the restaurateurs, whether Trump pals or not, kept redirecting the conversation back to this covered period issue, even when Trump himself tried to pivot to things like meal deductibility or payroll tax cuts, policies that one restaurant CEO likened to useful additions to a house, but only after the actual scaffolding is first erected. Don't be surprised to see this issue emerge today when Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin testifies in front of the Senate Banking Committee. And finally, TikTok yesterday stunned the tech and entertainment worlds by poaching Kevin Meyer to be its new CEO. Meyer had spent the last 27 years at Disney, including overseeing the launch of its Disney Plus streaming unit, and had been at one time viewed as the likely successor to CEO Bob Iger. Why it matters is that first, this is a very big name hire for a social media upstart that now has hundreds of millions of users. But perhaps more importantly, Meyer is a known U.S. tech and media commodity at a time when TikTok is trying to prove its independence from Beijing, at least when it comes to privacy, despite its ownership by Chinese tech giant ByteDance, where Meyer will also now serve as COO. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national devil's food cake day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro ProRata podcast.